How's it going today, guys? Back here live in the studio for an episode of Hot Takes with TP3. I'm your host, Thomas Penland, joined once again on Wednesday, July 7th by none other than Ben Gorwitz. Ben, say what's up to the people. What's going on, everyone? Got a, we got a lot of great topics today. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of great stuff to discuss. Uh, we haven't podcasted in a minute. Uh, me and Ben were a little under the weather yesterday, so we couldn't come to y'all before the first game of the NBA Finals. I don't think that game really changed either of our opinions of the series in general. But, you know, let's kind of fast forward a little bit back to the weekend and to the game that happened on Saturday night. That was the Atlanta Hawks losing the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, honestly, not too much to talk about about that game, except for the fact that Cam Reddish exploded for 26 points and hit six three-pointers in this game. Um, I guess kind of this is the perfect segue into us talking about the future of the Hawks here, Ben. So we have a pretty crucial offseason coming up here. Obviously, you guys know John Collins will be a free agent. The first thing I want to say is, Cam Reddish, honestly, in that game, even though we lost, I wasn't even mad about it. And the funniest part about Cam Reddish was the fact that he kind of looked at everybody after he hit every single three. Like, I've been able to always do this. Y'all just doubted me. Like, it's so funny because I've always been an advocate of Cam Reddish. I've tried to, you know, back him up, try to defend him. And it's been tough sometimes. Like, there would be people who sit there and say, you're an idiot. Cam Reddish is absolute garbage. And I've been like, just trust me on this one. Just trust me. Like, Cam Reddish was one of the highest rated prospects. He was a number th- – I'm trying, trying to tell people when you're the number three option and you've been the number one your entire life, it's a tough adjustment. And that's the way he was at Duke. I feel like the Cam Reddish with his two-way potential and the way he shot the ball, man, I mean, the sky's the limit for this Hawks team. Let's talk about John Collins first, though. Look, Ben, what do you kind of contract you think John Collins is going to demand? Well, he's a restricted free agent, which means exactly what you think it means. It means he's restricted partially. So I, I, I don't see him as a max player. Um, I'm kind of hoping the Hawks don't as don't either. So I, I could see Atlanta offering him something that they think is fair. Him probably turning it down at least for now. And then if another team decides to offer him the Hawks, because John Collins is a restricted free agent. The Hawks have the option to match that contract that another team offered or to let him go. And I I think that's how it's going to play out, to be honest with you. If if the number he gets from another team is – it's obviously going to be more than what Atlanta offers him first if it plays out like I just said. I think if Atlanta's comfortable with that number, then I think he stays. If they're not, I I really think they're going to let him walk. I would would not sign him to a max contract. I I don't think – He's, I think he's a good player, but he's not like a player that's a borderline all-star. Like he's the type of player that can have a solid career, but he's not going to make a single all-star team ever because this, I mean, he hasn't even been close. I don't think in voting or, in, or deserving, to be honest with you. I thought he had a pretty strong playoffs until the kind of the, the end in the Bucks series. But uh, I, I mean, I'll let you talk about this more, but when Trey Young went out, John Collins' numbers significantly went down when not everyone else's numbers went down. I mean, the Hawks played several games without Trey Young, and, and some people were still putting up good numbers, especially Bogey when he was finally back healthy. John Collins' numbers declined uh, without Trey Young in the court. Now, I know that Trey Young's your franchise player is going to be there forever, and typically he's always on the court, but I don't think you pay someone a max player who can't do something on his own. I agree with you completely on this one, Ben. Look, game five, Trey Young doesn't play. John Collins has four points. Four points, guys. I mean, that isn't going to get it done. 
he did bounce back a little bit in the following game. In, in uh, or Sorry, that was game four where he had four points. Game five, he did bounce back a little bit having 19 points, but he was on seven of 16 shooting, and a lot of that was in garbage time. Like, I remember when the, I was I remember I was texting you during the game, and I was like, what, what the hell is John Collins doing? He didn't do anything the whole game. He did all that in the second half kind of when the game was over. He went the game, We actually needed him when we could have won the game. Nothing was going on for him and from his side. I agree with you completely, Ben. I can't pay him a max contract. Look, John Collins is a good player. The thing is, though, he's not a great defender, and he can't make his creators on shot like you just said. I can't feasibly give someone a max contract that can't do that. Look, I think 20 to $23 million is fair contract. A max contract would have him making $30 million. I don't think he's worthy of that $30 million. The problem that I look at, though, is I feel like a team's going to come along and offer him that, and then the Hawks are going to have, you know, a choice whether or not they want to max that offer sheet. Also, too, this year when we had better players, John Collins' numbers went down. Last year, he averaged 10 and 21. This year, he was 17 and 7. He was hurt a little bit, but his three-point percentage was close to 40. He shot 33.9. He shot 40.1 the year before. I mean, that three-pointer helps. At the end of the day, though, I can't pay him can't pay him $30 million. And you got to think about it this way too. Hawks starting lineup next year is going to be Trey Young at point guard. Pick your poison between Bogey or between Herter at the two. Then you throw in Reddish at the three, or I mean, you could even put Herter or Bogey there and then Reddish off to your six man. But I mean, you have three guys right there to play between your two and three. Then you're, you can play DeAndre Hunter at power forward and then your fives Capella. I just don't see why we're going to break open the checkbook for a guy like that who, you know, he's a good player and all, but he's just not an all-star, like you said, quite frankly. There's no way John Collins will ever make an all-star team. Look, you can also sign and trade John Collins, too. I could see that happening. I wouldn't hate that happening or if we signed and trade him and got a couple assets in return or an asset or two in return. At the end of the day, I think the Hawks need to roll with that young lineup. You're still going to have Gallinari. Hopefully, we can bring back Lemon Pepper Lou one more time. I think he had fun with this team, and I think he enjoyed winning and playing with Trey Young. I mean, every single interview, he bragged on Trey Young and how awesome this young team was. He didn't want to be there at first, and he even said it, but he said he was glad he stuck around and decided to play. I think we can convince Lou Williams to stay, but we're going to have a deep bench. And I mean, the rookie looks amazing, too. A Kong Wu, he was coming into his own in the playoffs. I feel like John Collins is expendable. I think an area the Hawks should look to upgrade is in rebounding. Like you, you can't just rely on Capella mm-hmm. to, to get every board. Now Collins is a really athletic guy, but he's not that tall. I think he's like six nine, maybe. So if the Hawks could, if they keep him, then then get someone that can rebound. Because like, when you know our bench unit, like it's it's pretty much all on a Congru. I mean, Gallinari is, is really tall. I think he's six ten, maybe six eleven. But he's not like an aggressive rebounding guy. He's a scorer. That, that's what he is. He's really good at shooting the basketball and scoring. Um, the Hawks got uh, – I mean, the Hawks, it seemed like they were giving up so many offensive rebounds to the Bucks, And then in the series before, Philly had some uh, success on the boards as well. So I think the next step – the Hawks have plenty of scorers on their team. The next step is to continue to get better at defense, even though I, I think they're – I know they were much improved defensive uh, – team from this year to the year prior and I think that they'll continue to get better but I you know I think they can you can always improve on defense surrounding Trey Young um I think if you get rid of Collins then you bring someone in that's a better rebounder slash defender and then I think it's problem solved for the offseason I'm really excited to see what the Hawks are going to get out of Reddish in a full season plus a full offseason and DeAndre Hunter who about have half of offseason maybe three-fourths of an offseason 
uh, coming back from the injury. And, and both those wing players have looked very good in, in stretches. DeAndre Hunter a little bit more because Reddish hasn't really played since February. So to match those two, to match it also with Herter and, Bo- and Bogdanovich on the wings, like the Hawks have a really good set of wing players to surround Trey Young that are all catch and shoot type of players. No, I agree. I see. I agree with you completely on that one. I like the three and D that we get out of those other guys. And plus two, I think DeAndre Hunter is more suitable to play the four kind of in the NBA. Now, you know, a lot of these other teams play smaller lineups. John Collins is like that tweener. He's not good enough of a defender or rebounder to be your five man. And, and honestly, even just big enough, you know, to be your five man, but he's also not small enough, you know, to really be a main wing guy. So he's just kind of stuck as one of those tweeners, you know, and feel like these smaller lineups are a little bit better. So, I agree with you completely on that one, Ben. Um, he's almost he's almost like a minor league version of Blake Griffin. Yeah, honestly, that's a that's a really is a great comparison. He's like the poor man's version of Blake Griffin, basically. When Zion, he's kind of like yeah, that's I like that I like that comparison a lot because those are you know those undersized athletic guys. He's just not as skilled as they are, obviously. His his, his his best attribute, just like Blake Griffin, will always be his athleticism and leaping ability. That's just what it is. Blake Griffin has learned. Blake Griffin learned a shot, decent shooter. Now he's even got a handle a little bit. But I mean, John Collins has improved his three pointer. I think every year so far. Um, I don't remember what you said he shot it this year. I think you said around forty percent, which yeah, is great. Yeah, forty point one last year, thirty nine point nine this year. So I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll take him shooting around forty percent. But in in reality, the way his leaping ability, his athleticism will always outweigh all the skill sets you need in basketball. And I don't think you get a max contract for that. But Blake Griffin's made a lot of money in his career. Yeah, exactly. No, I I agree with you completely on that one, Ben. John Collins will definitely get paid. I really feel like a team is going to come out here and offer him a max contract. We see it all the time where teams overpay for these young guys like this. I think it's going to happen 150% with John Collins and the Hawks are going to say see you later. But I'd love to have him stick around if the price is right. I mean, you know, I, I feel like he wants to stick around. But, I mean, when you're a young guy like this, I mean, he wasn't even a high draft pick. He was number 18 in the first round. So, I mean, it's not even like he's made crazy money. And when that extra $7 million comes knocking, he's going to take the money and run for sure. And you can't – I will not fault him at all, and I'll have no hard feelings about it either. Next, let's talk about the NBA Finals and the game we watched last night. Um, first off, Ben, what was your prediction before the series started? Suns and six. Okay, see, I was a Suns and five kind of guy. I personally didn't expect Giannis to try to play until we went back to Milwaukee. He played last night and looked better than I thought he did. Um, what was your overall thoughts on the game last night? Did it go the way you were expecting? I think so. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't gamble on the game. I didn't have anything on it, but um, I, I did like the Suns line. They've covered in every game one so far, and there was a trend I saw that. 16 out of the last 17 years, the team that's favored to win it all has won game one. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two combined stats, I thought was a good reason to take the spread for the Suns. Man, Chris Paul. <laughs> what I mean, what can you say? I, what can you say about the legacy of Chris Paul, man? He showed up in, in his one of the biggest games in his career, might be the biggest since he's never been to a final. Yeah. And listen, he put the team on his back. I mean, this is what he can do. And you know what? I find it the difference between these two teams that I, that at least I see, and this is the main struggle point why I don't know if the Bucks can win a finals with Giannis as their star player. It has nothing to do with Giannis's ability. He he's, he scores a lot. He rebounds a lot. He plays he plays good defense. 
he does it all individually. He's a tremendous player. He's a superstar. But as the game gets deeper, he relies on other role players to help him push his team over the top. And, and, and for instance, like Chris Middleton is a fantastic player. He's going to get his points in this series. He's just clearly shooting the ball like he's Michael Jordan in the playoffs right now. Mm-hmm. Drew Holiday is also a good player. Brooke Lopez has been a good player. The Bucks to win this series are going to need some threes from Pat Connaughton and Forbes and guys like and guys like that. Connaughton got his shots last night and didn't make enough. With the Suns, the Suns have the role players that have been consistent this entire playoffs. You have a three-headed monster at the role player between Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, and uh, Michael Bridges. And if the Suns have two out of those two out of those three guys that I just named, if two out of those three have good games, they will win every single game because Chris Paul is going to have a great game, DeAndre Ayton is going to have a great game, and Booker is going to. So it's going to depend on which role players are going to play better because I like the way Brooke Lopez is aggressive and he's shooting right now for the Bucks. Giannis is Giannis. Middleton is Middleton. What are you going to get consistently out of Drew Holiday versus the role players of the Suns? Because the Suns guys, they're not asked to do as much as the role players for the Bucks. Drew Holiday is asked to make plays, play really good defense. The Suns guys stand in the corner, wait for Chris Paul or Booker to get you the ball and do what you do best, which is knock down threes. So I think there's less pressure on the Suns role players. And I also think they're really good. So I think the Suns have the advantage there. I really do. Cam Johnson was terrific last time. Yeah, Cam Johnson was a beast last night. Um, he was two for four from three, but he played some great defense as well, put in 10 points for them. Um, I want to say this first off. I So I had a little future bet. I don't know if you all saw it or not on Twitter. I took very lightly. I took DeAndre Ayton at plus 1,500 to win finals MVP. I feel like that, you know, we've seen, we've seen obviously that the Bucs are going to play big men. You know, they, they have to have Giannis on the floor. And we saw Aiton can guard him, which I knew Aiton would be able to. Aiton can move on the perimeter. That's one of his best attributes is he's very mobile. But you know for a fact they're going to play Borca Lopez too. I mean, especially the fact they don't have Dante DiCincenzo, who I'll get to his impact here in a minute. But, look, I don't think it's going to happen just because of sole reason. I mean, Chris Paul went crazy last night. And Booker, I mean, was amazing too, even though he was only one for eight from three. But, I mean, those two guys played so well last night. It's like they took all the spotlight. No one was talking about this morning the fact DeAndre Ayton had 22 and 19 last night. I mean, that's one – he was 8 for 10 from the field. I mean, that's got to be 6 for 6 from the free throw line. That's going to be one of the best performances a center's ever had in an NBA Finals game. You know, that obviously in this era, especially where big men don't have the impact they do. But I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Jay Crowder was 0 for 8 from the field, 0 for 5 from 3, but his impact was massive on the defensive end. He still pulled down nine defensive rebounds, and, I mean, he made so many plays on getting steals last night. He he had a – actually, he didn't even register an official steal, but he made so many impactful plays on defense and in transition, I thought. But I think the Bucks' biggest problem is they just don't match up. You know, they just don't match up at all with Phoenix. I think Phoenix has gotten lucky and not really played a team that matches up bad with them. The, the Clippers were a bad matchup for them, but the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard couldn't really expose them, I feel like. But not having Deacon Chinzo hurts because, you know, now you have to rely on guys like Bobby Portis, guys like Jeff Teague. I mean, Jeff Teague is no business even being in the game. Brian Forbes is just a straight spot-up shooter. He's no defense at all. And he then Pat jacks Connaughton. him up, too. He just oh, yeah. jacks it up. 
he sprays them. But see, the thing is, like, I feel like Chris Paul, he's so smart. He sees all these mismatches and just instantly exposes them. Like, P.J. Tucker was a big nothing last night. I feel like P.J. Tucker is useless to them in this series completely. He's more of like a – because, like, Booker's too quick for him. Chris Paul's too quick for him. You know what I mean? So, Tucker doesn't even match up because he gives you nothing on offense. Then, I mean, Middleton played good. I feel like Drew Holiday has to step up here and prove that he was worth what he got. I mean, yeah, he did get Milwaukee over the hump and get him the finals, but Drew Holiday needs to needs to lock Chris Paul up on defense. And he needs to do something on offense. Four for 14, 0 for 4 from 3 is not it. I mean, Drew Holiday's shortcomings have kind of gotten covered up because Milwaukee's been able to get this far in the playoffs. But you remember, we were about ready to crucify him for his performance that he had in Game 7 against the Nets until that game got to overtime, and then he ended up hitting two big shots. And it's kind of like, okay, everything bad you did is forgotten, is forgiven now. I really feel like Holiday has to do something for them here, but I just don't think they match up, and they're missing DiCincenzo a lot. I mean, obviously, we're not going to say the fifth starter on a team is the reason they're not going to win championship, but it definitely got exposed last night. Yeah, so I want to add on to the Drew Holiday thing because that's a good point. So this was talked about during the Hawks series. The Hawks decided that their game plan off of a defensive rebound, the person that was – this was when Trey Young was hurt Mm -hmm. uh, because Trey would obviously be the primary ball handler. When Trey was hurt, they said whoever is not being guarded by Drew Holiday is someone that's going to take the ball up. So the Hawks didn't feel comfortable with, like, Lou Will and uh, Herter and Bogdanovich dribbling against Drew Holiday. What you and he and he, honestly, he he stole the ball from from all three of those guys yeah. multiple times. Like you're playing the Suns, like you're not stealing the ball from Chris Paul. So him guarding Chris Paul, like you're not going to get as many turnovers because Chris Paul, point god, he's one of the greatest assisted turnover guys that we've that you and I have personally ever seen. And it, you're just not going to turn him over. Booker can handle the ball enough that it's hard to steal from him. But Drew Holiday, if he's going to be guarding Booker and Paul, he's going to have to find a different way to disrupt those two separately from what he did to the Hawks because the Hawks, he could pressure the ball handlers Mm -hmm. because none of those guys are really comfortable dribbling the basketball up the court and and making a play. Most of them are are just kind of shooters, pick and roll players. Yeah. But Chris Paul does it all. So, you know, he uses a lot of screens. I think Drew Holiday – should do his best to not switch on though, because if you switch PJ Tucker or anyone else on Chris Paul, he, he's going to make a play. Um, I, I just, I drew holiday needs to find different ways to disrupt the flow of Booker and Chris Paul or, or whoever he's guarding, because he's not going to be able to do it from ball pressure. I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one, Ben. I just feel like, you know, the bucks are obviously going to make some changes. Budenholzer is going to make some changes. Not every game is going to go like how last night went, but I agree. Is he though? Ben. He doesn't make any in-game changes. No, I feel like he's a pre-game change kind of guy. I feel like the Bucks will have a completely different game plan. They'll come out with an attack with this game. Um, I, I think this series, you know, I think Milwaukee's definitely going to win at least one game, and I think there's going to be some close games that can go either way. I just think this Phoenix team's tough. You know, like Booker and Paul, like we were just saying, they got everything they wanted to last night. I mean, it was still a fun game to watch. It was a high-scoring game, you know. Both teams shot out the gym. I think, though, that – I don't know what they need to switch up, but they got to switch up something. I feel like it starts with Holiday. Also, too, I, I would like play Middle- through Middle. I, I would play through Middleton. Yeah, I would too. I, I would kind of. Tr- it's. All, I feel like they they should try like a game plan where that they make 
Middleton and Holiday, the main two ball handlers, and let Giannis just be like a rebounder and kind of like a cutter. I feel like they need to try something like that and take the ball to Giannis's hands because I mean, Aiton's quick enough to keep up with Giannis. I mean, Lopez at this point is just like a catch and, and shoot guy enough. in the corner for three pointers. You know, Lopez is not really going to bang in the paint. I feel like if you do that, because I feel like Giannis had a lot of success, honestly, on the boards and everything. You know, I feel like it's when they slow everything down, everyone watches Giannis dribble around. That's when the offense breaks down. And I said this, I think I said this on the podcast, when when the um, Bucks were going to be without Giannis for a period of time, I said, I, it, I don't want to say it's a blessing in disguise because you're missing a top four, top three, top five, whatever you want to rank Giannis player. But without Giannis being the primary ball hander or on the floor, it gives the Bucks shooters more space to spread out because when Giannis drives to the hoop, there's a wall there. And even though you leave a shooter in that mm-hmm. instance, typically you leave the corner guy, it's he doesn't always pass it. So he's either chucking up a wild shot, turning it over, or you're has more space. If he comes back to the middle and Giannis is cutting from the left wing, who is stopping Giannis coming downhill? Like it's it's a foul dunk, whatever you want to call it. He's scoring every single time. Versus when Giannis has the ball going downhill, if he has to give it up, you're losing Giannis. He's out of the play now. Mm-hmm. Keep him in. I think Middleton is is a good enough ball handler and a tremendous shot maker that he's good enough to be the leader of this team in terms of possession like have the ball in his hands i think they're better off with him in it he takes over but i think a majority of the game especially in the second half specifically in the fourth quarter i think Giannis should touch the ball less unless he's getting the ball in the post i like yeah. him in the post same no, I agree with you completely on that. It's going to be interesting to see what changes they make. It should be a good game to watch tomorrow night. I'm excited for that one, and then we won't see him again until Sunday. Um, it's not a must-win for Milwaukee. I don't think so. Do you? No, not at all. Because, I mean, if you're the if you're the road team and you go down to 0-2, you know, it's it's kind of expected. So, I don't, I don't think it's a must-win at all for Milwaukee. I think game three at the house will be a must-win. I'd probably like the Bucks to win that game. game. Um I personally don't know too much about UFC. Um, I actually will be tuning into the card this weekend. Anything you want to say on it, Ben? I mean, it's going to be a hell of I, – anytime McGregor fights, I watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have a bet on it. Um, but I like the sport of UFC. It's a really good matchup. This is the third time Justin Poirier and Conor McGregor are fighting, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, the fight. Also, um, I'm not, I, I just, I mean, he, I don't know. His last fight, I believe, was against Cowboy, and yeah. he won that. It, it, that wasn't even, that wasn't even a great fight. Like Connor was going to win that, but Connor's two big fights before that, he's lost both. So he talks a lot of, he talks a lot for someone that's gotten his ass kicked pretty recently. Um, if he loses this, like, because I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge UFC guy. I like it and I watch it a lot. If Connor loses this, it might be time to hang it up, hang the gloves up. 
Yeah, I agree. But I mean, he'll definitely go out as one of the guys who, you know, really made the sport as big of it is. So definitely been a great career for him and everything. Also, too, there will be the World Cup final, which will be England versus Italy. It's to be one hell of a match. Or, sorry, the Euro Cup final. It's to be one hell of a match for those of y'all who don't really watch soccer. I think that's definitely a sporting event worth turning, tuning into. I, I want to say something real quick. I, I don't understand this rule about soccer. And I asked some of my soccer friends and they agreed with me. So I kind of want to ask you because you know uh-huh. more about it than I did. I'm specifically talking about today's match between England and uh, Denmark. Yeah. Harry Kane, who even I know who that is, which means you're a a really good soccer player if I know who you are. He gets a penalty kick. I don't want to get into whether it was a foul or not. I I don't care. He gets a penalty kick. The goalie saves it, but he didn't catch it or deflect it to the side. It bounced right back, and Harry Kane Kane off the rebound scored again to what basically ended up being the game-winning goal. Why is that a thing in soccer? A, a PK, in my opinion, should be like a shootout in hockey. If the goalie saves it, it's dead, right? How you're going to tell me? How are you going to tell me a defender who has to start behind the the kicker, who is Kane in the situation, and behind the line? How are they supposed to get to a ball before Harry Kane off a rebound? And how is a goalie supposed to stop two chances? So I I don't understand that rule about soccer. Yeah, I feel like they just do it that way just to make it that much more consequential and to try to keep people that much more from fouling in the box. You know, it's it's like they try to make it as much. It's kind of like, for example, in the NFL, committing pass interference in the in the end zone, even when your quarterback's throwing the ball from 50 yards down the field. You know, it's to try to keep people that much more from committing the foul or for committing the penalty, you know. So I feel like that's the reasoning. But I do agree with you. It's definitely tough luck. But I mean, it's the, impossible for a goalie to save it. You literally have to guess. So if you guess correctly and make the save, like people like some people on twitter were like well he should have punched it away or caught it i'm like okay let's see you go do it yeah i know it's it's like it's like 10 12 yards away whatever a pk is let's see you go stop it yeah the percentage of a play of a striker as good as harry kane making a penalty kick is i guarantee you is probably in like the 80th it's probably even higher than 80 percent. so i mean the fact he even saved it the first time is unbelievable you know so i I agree with you completely it's definitely tough Um, and as an as a non-soccer guy i've been very entertained by this tournament yeah, no, I have been too. I I tried or told Ben on the first podcast before it got started. Definitely needs to tune in. So I'm glad that you've actually been tuning in and watching. It has been very enjoyable to watch. Um, last topic for us here that we're going to discuss before we get up out of here is we're going to talk about the MLB All Star Game. So let's go let's ahead and start it. things out with before we talk about the actual All Star rosters, we will talk about the Home Run Derby, which will happen on Monday. The All Star Game is played on Tuesday. So the Home Run Derby contestants are Shohei Otani, Joey Gallo, Trey Mancini, um, Pete Alonzo, Matt Olson, Trevor Story, Juan Soto, and Salvador Perez. Um, so they do the NL and the AL matchup against each other, then the NL and AL play each other in the championship. Then who's coming out of each side and who's winning it ultimately? First things, there's a couple storylines uh, that I want to go over real quick. This is an incredible uh, participation field. This is an incredible home run derby, which is the players, the fact that it's in Colorado, which means, you know, thin air, balls travel further. Everyone in this derby can hit a moonshot, which in Colorado, I mean, like expect to see long shots, like over 500 feet. Um, The second thing that I think is very important, it'll be mentioned so many times during the broadcast, is what a wonderful story Trey Mancini is. Um, battling cancer. cancer last year, couldn't play, uh, beat cancer, thank you. Um, 
you know, came back. Not only is he deserving of getting recognition just for beating cancer, because everyone does, he's playing very well for the Baltimore Orioles. Ovation from the Colorado Rocky fan absolutely deserves it, and I would love for him to win it. Um, I'm not going to pick him to win it. I'm going to pick Joey Gallo. Um, Joey Gallo is a monstrous home run hitter. He's a guy. He's a huge guy. If you've never seen him before, tune into the home run derby. He sticks out like a sore thumb. He is a guy that does not have to swing very hard to hit the ball 450 feet in a regular game. I think if he just easy swing to the baseball, I think he's going to just knock a ton of balls out of the park. Um, I'm going to pick Joey Gallo. If I had to pick an NL person, I'm going to go Pete Alonso to repeat. Um, this is a guy that not only did he win it last year, but pretty much immediately when he was first asked, would you be up to doing this again? He said, tell me when and where, and I'm there. He's a guy that loves this showcase, and I think he's going to want to win it again, but I'm going to go with Joey Gallo. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on um, – I'm going to agree with you on Alonzo to win for the NL side of things. For the AL, look, I think I think there's two – I think Joey Gallo is a great choice. I think Matt Olson's a great choice. Both guys hit tanks. I'm going with Otani, though. Otani is a beast. I mean, he leads the MLB in home runs. He had two more today. He's got 33 now on the season. I mean, it, 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 there's nothing he can't do. I heard that they that they let it or they're, they're going to let Otani umpire the game as well. That's how good he is. So he does everything. Um, I got to go with him, and I think he's going to win the entire thing. I think it's just going to add to the legend of Shohei Otani. And and he's another guy that knows how to put on a show and loves to put on a show. He he's gonna he understands this moment, what it means for the MLB, what it means for the fans uh, specifically, because it means more to them. Because you know. This would be an, an incredible achievement for all past Japanese uh, baseball players and all future ones. He's literally a, uh, a role model for probably an entire country. And it's what he's able to do. Listen, we, everyone knew he was really talented coming over. We were worried about can he do both. And then early on, he just kept battling injuries. So he's always been able to hit. Since he has come – to Major League Baseball, he has been able to hit. Mm-hmm. And I remember a quote, I've brought it up on a past podcast before with you. This is about as big of a compliment as you can get, um, you know, for an MLB player. When he first showed up in Los Angeles, Albert Pujols and Mike Trout said, I have never seen a player hit the ball farther and harder in batting practice than this kid right here. That is some of the highest praise that you can get in Major League Baseball from Albert Pujols, who's one of the greatest to ever play the game, specifically at his position, first ballot Hall of Famer, no question, and Mike Trout, who everybody thinks he's the greatest player of all time, especially during his time. So the fact that those two guys say that he hits it harder and farther than, than, them, uh, than themselves and harder and farther than anyone they've ever seen is a massive compliment. Shelby's going to put on a show at the home run derby and i think a lot of these participants will oh yeah i agree with you completely on that one it's gonna be awesome to watch the home run derby it's always i think that's more fun than watching the all-star game the game itself personally doesn't Um, mean anything anymore yeah exactly um let's talk about the rosters though so for the american league um rather than us than me going through here and reading out the entire roster to you um 
Ben, is there anybody from the American League you think got snubbed? I have I have a few. Um, you know, let me let me look at the uh, starters just real quick. I got pulled up on my phone. Here, while you look at the starters, I'm going to go ahead and give you the – so one guy that I thought got snubbed was Yuri Uriel from the Houston yep. Astros. I thought yep. he should have been on there over Jared Walsh just because, look, the Angels already got Trout and Otani on there. Those are probably two of the top five best players of the entire game. I don't think Walsh should be on there. The Astros have a much better record than the Angels do. They're a much better team. I mean, Uriel has been a great player for a few years. I feel like he deserves it. Deserves it. Walsh is a good player too. He's young. He'll have many more opportunities. I thought he got snubbed. That's my first beef. Any you? Anybody else you think should needs to be on there? So th- I actually have a kind of add on to that. So with with Shohei Otani, we've already heard he's going to pitch. They're just figuring out what inning, and he's also listed, start. He's also listed. Yeah, he's also listed as the DH. So I, I'm glad that he's going to be hitting and pitching. Um, you know, to put on a showcase for everyone. I I just. I don't know. I, I have a little bit of a problem only because that takes away one pitcher spot for the American League and it takes a pitch in a, a hitter yeah. spot away from a starter. So, like, I, I don't know. I feel like he should only be allowed to be listed as a DH, but in the game should be able to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Guriel was someone that I had in mind. Chris Bassett, pitcher for the Oakland Athletics, is having a fantastic year. I was year. about to say him. Yeah, I'll let you go in more detail then. Um, I, I I just think that he kind of deserved to be on the team. He's on a really good Oakland Athletics team, and yep. he's he's having a fantastic year. I'm sure it's a career year for him. I have all the numbers pulled up. I just feel like Otani being listed at both, even though he is both. Like, for an all-star game, you can make up the rules, I feel like, if you're the MLB. You know what I mean? Like, you know, for instance, in, in a regular game, if Otani is pitching, he's obviously hitting too. Yeah. If you want to keep his bat in the lineup, he has to go play the field. Well – in an all-star game, you could take him out and you should be able to just hit him because it's an all-star game. There's no rules. So I that's kind of a problem that I had. Just like, you know, my first glance looking at the roster, I, I thought Bassett kind of should have been there and I don't have a problem with Guriel as well. So, look, I'm not going to... Also, s- Trout. Trout, like, he... I mean, I get it. It's fan voting for the starters. Trout's yeah. always going to be there, but, like, he's not even a lot... He can't even play in the game. So it's I, just like... But they, they replace him, though, right? Do they announce a replacement yeah, for him yet? They, I don't think they've announced it just yet. I get that they replace him. It's just like, I don't know. I mean, someone will someone will take his spot as a starter. I hope it's Cedric Mullins for the Orioles. I think he's very He's on the roster. He's on the roster. He's on the roster. I think he should be starting, though. Oh, I agree. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I don't have a problem with Trout, I guess, because he's going to be replaced. I just think it's – Fan voting, I understand it. You want fans to be engaged in the sport mm-hmm. and all this, but it's so stupid. It's so stupid. When guys can get incentives from making an all-star game, it's literally in the hands of fans. I think it's a little dumb, but it, it, it is what it is. No, I agree with you completely. It's like when Allen Iverson played on the Grizzlies, played in like five games all season long, got voted on the NBA all-star team. Like it's ridiculous fans can do that. But – um. Yeah, um, back to what you sa- said with Chris Bassett. I mean, Chris Bassett is fourth in the MLB in wins right now, er- and he's tied for fourth, and he's not even on the all-star roster. Also, too, Aaron Suvale is first in the MLB in wins and didn't even make the all-star team. So, I mean, 
don't get me wrong. I don't think you can say, I guess, well, they haven't replaced Shane Bieber yet. So Sivale will probably replace him, but still though, like when you look down this roster with the pitchers, I mean, Rodon's good. Lance Lynn's having a hell of a season. Kikuchi is, so is Kyle Gibson, but I mean, Kikuchi and Gibson is the other thing too, with the MLB all-star game is every single team gets a player in the, in the game, which yeah. I do like that. I do. I'm a fan of that part. Love that. But like, I mean, obviously, so those two pitchers are taking spots because they're their team's only all-stars, but I just feel like how how are you not going to put Sivale in there when he leads the MLB and wins? You know what I mean? Like, I think he should have Evaldi's spot on there personally. Um, well, how, well, how about this? The Oakland Athletics are 49 and 38. I get that they're in second place in the division. But right now, let me let me double check on it. I believe they're up. Yeah, they're second in the wild card right now. They're a playoff team as of today, and they have one representative. It's Matt Olson. Yeah, that that doesn't make any sense. It's just because the A's, you know, they don't have a big payroll. They're in a small market, and that's why that's they don't. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's re, it's ridiculous in my opinion. I'm going to agree with you completely on that one. Um, any, be, any beef that stands out to you with the NL? Um, I, I was a little disappointed that Ozzy Albies wasn't the starting second baseman, but Adam Frazier is extremely deserving of that. Um. As far as the starting lineup for position players, I don't have an issue with it. I agree. Um, I, I would have liked to see Austin Riley be a reserve. Um, he's having a Same. really good year. But the third base position, this is just the reality of it. Third base is a really tough position. It's extremely competitive. Um, so I, I get why he, he's probably going to be left off. Um, I don't have a ton of beef with the NL side. I think they got it right for the most part. I mean, it sucks that Max Scherzer didn't make it. Herman Marquez, though, is the only all-star deserving from the Rockies. He's going to take that spot with with uh, Trevor Story being injured and whatnot. And then also, too, you know, the only other guy that I would really try to make an argument for is, like you said, was Austin Riley over um, Eduardo Escobar. But, you know, Arizona has to have an all-star, too. So that's the one all-star that and, they get in there. But And Cattell Marte, who would be their all-star, has been hurt all year. Not yep. all year, but he's been hurt. Yeah, he's missed way too much time. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I like seeing Jake Cronenworth get the nod in his second year to get make the All Star. Fantastic team player. Oh yeah, he's having a great season. Member of my fantasy team as well. Um, that's all we got for y'all today. Anything else been on your mind? Yeah, I'm gonna be a little petty just real quick. Uh, <laughs> Bryce Harper's in his third year in Philly. He's yet to make an All Star game. The team is yet to make the playoffs. Have fun with that contract, Phillies fans. Yeah, have fun with a much higher payroll than the than the Braves and what we've done over the past couple of years, Phillies. Although this year we're not really doing shit, but he says he doesn't care about making an All Star team, which is fine. You you can make it, not play. But guess what? When someone's paying you that much money, you better put up big numbers. He has not. Yeah, he also has been injured this year, but I agree. I like it making fun of Bryce Harper. Anyway, let's get up out of here. We appreciate everyone who tuned into the podcast. Football season is right around the corner, so get ready for us to start pumping out content for that. NBA draft, NBA offseason is as well. Me and Ben got a lot more podcasts coming to y'all. Appreciate everyone who tuned in, and we'll talk to y'all again soon.